Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and the Dark Nerd. I'm your Captain Will. And I'm your nerd, Jess. Today, we are talking about a topic that's very near and dear to our hearts uh, as the topic for our 50th episode. Woohoo! So yeah, so it's kind of a milestone for us that we're happy about, but the, oh, yeah. the topic that we decided, we thought, you know, maybe we'd get we'd get a little intimate with uh, the captain and the nerd, right? Maybe, you know, maybe we're we'll get-, get juicy. It's like our, you know, it's like our little fireside chat. <laughs> We're going to talk about our biggest geek influences in life. So, you know, the things that really affected us and inspired us and influenced us, you know, growing up, not necessarily as little kids, but I think it probably just ends up working out that way a lot of the time. Well, if you think about it, no one's born a nerd, a dork or a geek. You know, that's that's a title that's earned. You know, you have to work on it. So it's like you follow a certain path and gain that title through um, conquering trials and earning achievements and <laughs> you earn the title even. and the label. You, It's it's not something well, taken lightly. It's, it's I, I serious business, folks. It's not necessarily, you know, something that you earn or like work at so much as it's something that you realize is a part of you right and you can work at it and you know obviously to say that you're a geek implies like some level of you know maybe obsession is going too far but certainly very strong interest beyond you know a casual hobby uh whether it's you know this or that fandom or this or that sort of like subject or field and so you know we are both geeks or nerds one might even say uh, but definitely geeks that have, you know, various interests. And there are some, you know, uh, geek stories or phenomenon or other things, you know, that have really influenced us uh, in our lives. And we thought, you know, we would talk about what those things are, what we love about those things, and why they influenced us so much. And, you know, that should maybe give everybody a little bit of extra insight into why you know we have the opinions that we have on this podcast but you know the hope is it'll also be a pretty entertaining and fun and interesting conversation and you know perhaps we might even mention a geek thing you know without giving any spoilers yet of what we're going to talk about but you know perhaps we'll mention something that uh, somebody hasn't had the opportunity to uh, be exposed to yet or to delve into yet and uh, you know hopefully if that's the case maybe we will bring you uh, a little uh, geek bliss out of listening to this episode. So yeah, that's about... Like, like I said, it's not something you're born into, but it is at some point in life, everyone is offered, you know, the choice. There's a fork in the road. Do you <laughs> want to go outside and throw a football, basketball, baseball, or would you like to read a book and mess around with a computer? But hey, like I think people who like sports can also be geeks about other things. So, well, but that is that totally is kind true. of the stereotypical division, right? Like back in like grade school, you'd have like the jocks versus like the nerds and stuff like that. You know what? We should actually do this. Just occurring to me just this second. We should do an episode on the nerd movies. Oh yeah, <laughs> do yes. you remember those? That yes, was... Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to do that. And well, if you really think about it. 
I mean, being a nerd, being a dork, being a geek, whatever you want to call it, sometimes that gets you pretty far in life. I would say Elon Musk, huge nerd. Huge nerd. Well, per- yeah, one one could uh, – I think one could say that with some uh, confidence. But, you know, I you, you brought up something interesting. I think this is important to say and to, to realize is that I think this idea that one is a geek or a nerd – while, you know, when we were growing up in school, at least, that could be a big social detriment <laughs> oh, yeah. in the sense that it could get you picked on a lot, like, you know, in, in the schoolyard or in class or whatever. But, like, ultimately, it gives you a community. And, you know, it was my hope, uh, you know, partially the hope with, with starting up this podcast with you was engaging with that community you know, and feeling like, you know, I'm uh, and we are more a part of it. And, you know, I, I can't tell, you know, this is one of the reasons why I actually really love going to the movie theater on opening night, but only for certain movies. Right. Like if it was a Star Trek movie, <laughs> maybe not so much anymore recently, <laughs> uh, or a Star Wars movie or you know, the latest, like, MCU, like, if it was, like, uh, Avengers Endgame, for example. I love going to those type of geeky movies on opening night because, like, the air is electric. Everybody that's there is there because they love, absolutely love the same thing that you love. Right. And so, you know, for me growing up in school, like, I felt isolated a lot of the time because I was kind of a nerd. I, I was kind of a bookish you know, not real, you know, athletic uh, guy. And oh, it looks like we got ourselves a reader. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I was picked on relentlessly and like all these other things. But on the other hand, it really did provide me with a bigger sense of community ultimately in my life that's been really valuable to me. And, you know, I've made friends on the basis of, you know, the fandoms that I'm into and the things that I like to geek out about. And and so that's so, you know, on, on one hand, when you're in like, you know, fifth grade or like ninth grade or something, you you know, you might feel like it's this horror. I, I don't know what it's like nowadays for people. It seems like geeks have made it more into like pop culture, which I think is great. But, you know, at least for for me growing up, it was it made things a little difficult since I had those interests and not other interests that maybe more people in my school were like into, but ultimately it's been a very positive thing in my life. And I think, I think that, you know, generally speaking, it's, it's positive thing for everybody. And I'm, I'm really grateful to have kind of like found that as like, you know, my community. Yeah. We need to somehow chronicle like the nerd uprising, you know, specific, you know, events, in history that chronicled the rise of the need, the nerds, the geeks, the dorks. Yeah, so what's what's the first thing you wanted to talk about in terms of your biggest geek influence? Okay, what I'm going to do is I decided about three minutes ago, like I told you, I had a whole list I've been whittling down. Um, I decided to just uh, do it chronological. All right. Because, like I said, we all have choices. We all follow a road. And, you know, and your road things. is chronological. My road's chronological. One of the first things that I remember that made me a dork, nerd, geek, whatever, was uh, getting into gaming, the gaming consoles. 
I remember when I was growing up, we had ColecoVision <laughs> and the Atari 2600. Ooh, yeah. Those were downstairs. My brother had his bedroom in the basement, and off of that was like a den. And that's where the kids' TV was. We'd go down there and watch Indiana Jones and all that stuff. And Goonies. And uh, we had the ColecoVision Atari 2600. And then later on, my dad got the Commodore 20, Commodore 64. And I remember playing games like Jumpman, uh, Pitfall, Montezuma's Revenge, Karateka. And that was like the heyday of gaming that was beyond Pong and Tanks or whatever. So I got into computers in the early 80s. When, and I was born in 1978. So the early 80s, it's like by the time I was seven, I was playing computer games. Yeah. And that really got me into computers, which in the future, I got into computer programming and building web pages and, you know, building computers from scratch. And I don't know if you need someone with a white T-shirt, a pocket protector and an ink stain on their shirt and big glasses but that's a computer programmer or, you know, from back in the 80s. That's what they look like. And that's kind of how I got started on this With path. pocket protector. Yeah. I didn't actually have one. But okay. <laughs> I might have used it once in a while for a costume or an outfit. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, thinking back on what makes a geek a geek, how many times has that trope been used in a movie or a book or a show? You know, the guy with the glasses sliding down his nose and the goofy hair and the buck teeth. And, you know, that's a nerd yeah. guy into computers. I think um, it might be easy these days, like if you didn't live through it, to underestimate the impact of like the whole like home computing revolution, if you want to call it that. And also the the dawn of like video game consoles that were not just general purpose computers like they were a box that was specifically for just playing video games right yeah. and uh this this dovetails nicely with one of the ones i wanted to talk about because the kind of early video game consoles well hold on before you do that i have a quick mm -hmm. story oh okay okay this was a couple years later after i graduated from the commodore 64 my cousin had a nintendo the original nes mm -hmm. we'd play all sorts of stupid games. But one year for Christmas, I got a Game Boy. Oh, yeah. And I knew that it was a Game Boy. I don't know how I knew. I just picked up the package. They were wrapped, hidden up in my parents' closet in the upstairs. And I found them. And I could pick it up. And I felt the weight and the shape and size of the box. I'm like, this is a Game Boy. So I got a razor blade. And I cut the scotch tape on the Christmas wrapping. And unwrapped the gift and it was indeed a game boy and i was ecstatic <laughs> so what i did was i uh took the game boy down to the basement this is a different house and i took it down into the basement and we had a dog that had one of those wire cages set up and it had a blanket over top of it so what I did is went down into the basement, crawled into the dog cage, closed it, put the blanket down, and I played my Game Boy there. And while I was doing that, this is pre-Christmas, so I wasn't allowed to have it. While I was doing that, I heard my father come home. 
upstairs. The door opened. Goo, goo, goo. It's like in all the horror movies, you see the, the steps going. You hear them walking across the ceiling. You hear the, the door open. And this house was a huge old Victorian house, so it was creaky and noisy. And he came down the basement steps, and I just heard him getting closer and closer and closer. And I was petrified, frozen. And suddenly the uh, blanket lifts up, and he looks at me. I'm probably, I don't know, seven or eight now. Mm-hmm. It's probably eight or nine. And uh, he looks at me and he's like, you can play with it for 30 minutes, then put it back. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> and I live. I survived the attack. So I put that, you know, I played, 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 and then put it back and put the scotch tape. I got new pieces of scotch tape the exact length. Ooh, meticulous. And put them right. Oh, no, I was meticulous. <laughs> I'm a sneaky bastard. And I put that tape right back over. Mom never knew. Mom wow. never knew. As far as I know, I'm sure he might have told her. But uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I um, that that is a good story. It's like, like how you describe it, it's like a horror movie. It's like you hear the footsteps coming. Yeah, <laughs> try not to breathe. You know? It was exactly like that. <laughs> um, you know, for me, it was. I, I wanted to also talk about like couple early consoles uh, that were real influential to me. So the Atari 2600 for mm-hmm. sure, which we must have gotten around 1983, 1984, maybe something like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was pretty young because I was also born in 78. And uh, so I must have been four or five years old, something like that. And I, I still, I mean, I still have memories of playing freaking Missile Command. Uh, oh, yeah. Asteroids. Pac-Man. Uh, pa- actually, we had Mrs. Pac-Man. Ooh. Not regular Pac-Man, <laughs> Mr. Pac-Man. <laughs> and I just remember, yeah, I played the- Your family is rich. Played the crap out of Mrs. <laughs> Pac-Man. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that was- Oh, and the dreaded E.T., the extraterrestrial Atari game, which, like, uh, almost single-handedly drove- Atari bankrupt right. and like ruined the whole video game industry in North America for years in the middle in the mid eighties. Like Basically, really, it did. Real quick cap review of that story: they took hundreds, if not thousands, of copies of the game and actually literally buried them in a hole in the desert. They did. They did yes. because it, it was failed so, so spectacularly. <laughs> and I remember that like, game was a hot mess. We need to shoot this mess. in the space, but we can't. So let's just bury it in a hole. <laughs> that game was awful. It was so awful. It was you like had there was it? no. There, yeah. Oh yeah, I played it. I tried I to play it. it. I I played it and I played it and it was like eventually you come to this point where you're like, what do you do in this game? You can't make any progress. The Secret Service are like constantly after you. You get stuck in this pit. You can't get out. It was like it was the stupidest. stupidest stupidest most poorly designed game i can imagine now and you know this is after like decades of like many games that have it's been the really Fortnite bad. of 1983 <laughs> oh no it's way it's no 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 i i you know i get why some people are averse to Fortnite, but Fortnite's actually like a well-constructed game this was not um so so i remember playing et but i mean you know i played all these other games and then it must have been Around 1986 and 1987 that we got the NES, Nintendo Entertainment System, Mm. and that – so I had to mention both of these consoles because Atari was the first one. And I think I did play like on a Commodore 64 at a friend's house or something, but like that was just sort of like randomly here and there. We actually got an Atari 
but when the Nintendo came out, the Super Nintendo, or not the Super Nintendo, but the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, that was like a game changer. I didn't even make mean to make that pun. It just came out. <laughs> um, but no, it really, I mean, it was technologically more advanced, of course, but like also the list, like that system had so many games. It was such a cultural milestone, not even only in the United States. I mean, I think in many you know, uh, like in Japan and probably Canada and so many countries, like this was such a cultural milestone uh, that we all share. And like, you know, it had so many games, but I, I just want to list some of them that I played the shit out of and that <laughs> were really, you know, formative for me. And it wasn't just that these were fun games. Like, I want to stress this to anybody who you know, I mean, I guess a lot of people can understand playing, you know, video games from, uh, you know, an early age at this point. But like this was unprecedented and it also opened like the NES games. There were so many. There were so there's such a different like a range of different types of games that it just opened my mind to the the possibilities of video games. And I spent so much time playing with friends whether they were multiplayer games or not i mean we would just you know come over to each other's house and take turns and watch and if it was like legend of zelda be like oh try over there try that cape you know and you find things together and it was this great like wonderful shared experience that i if you don't mention beating contra three times in a row in a single setting <laughs> then I'm <laughs> No, I'm I'm sure we did that. But I mean like <laughs> the point I'm making now is just that like it created so many great memories for me that are very right. fond memories at this point. And so just like a few of the games that I really played the crap out of was like obviously Super Mario Brothers, you know, 1, 2 and 3, <laughs> uh Legend of Zelda, Final Fantasy. Oh yeah. Like was the first RPG I played, like, you know, blew my mind. Double Dragon. <laughs> Castlevania, Contra, Dragon Warrior. There was a great little like action RPG called uh, Crystalis. I remember that. Destiny of an Emperor was kind of like a tactical, like turn-based game, if I remember correctly. Ducktales, the video game, was a lot of fun. Played played a lot of that. Metroid, Mega Man, oh, yeah. Tecmo Bowl, which is yep. probably the most I've ever played a sports game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tetris. The Who Framed Roger Rabbit game on the NES was actually pretty good. And do you remember Shadowgate? Sounds Shadowgate was familiar. like this like puzzle game where every screen like the idea is you're making your way through like this like old like mansion or castle or building or something and like you like choose a door and then like the screen changes to a picture of another room and you can like find objects in it and like take them so you have like an inventory and you have to use like different objects in different places to get into different rooms and like the idea I think was to like escape the building and there was like a supernatural sort of like gothic if i'm remembering correctly i mean that that thing was a ton of fun too it sounds real familiar that came out in 1987 and they actually looks like they did like a 2007 remake or 2006 remake yeah i think i saw that but that was just a, a totally different type of gameplay right that you know, so many different, like I said, like so many different types of games. There's just this like amazing, like blossoming of like game design in this period of history. And it was it was an amazing time to be a kid playing video games. <laughs> I'll just I'll just say that. I mean, yeah. OK, obviously, technology is a lot more advanced these days. 
but I can't. I cannot replicate. I mean, part of it is just being a kid. It looks right? like it looks like but, basically the Shadowgate game was uh, like the video game version of the old uh, Zork books. The old, the old choose your own adventure sort of things. I mean, kind of. Kinda. It was a. It was a. It was like a puzzle based. Like, you know, it was basically pushing what you could do with the NES technology. You know, in in like a first person perspective. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm looking uh, at some screenshots of it. I think I do remember playing it. Shows a big uh, screen of a. I played a lot of a that skull. Lot, I think up in your face with the like the hair decaying and it's holding a scythe and it says, "Thou art dead." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But I mean, you know, point being, um, man, I that was such a great period of my childhood and like part of my childhood, and like I got to you know, play these games either by myself or with my siblings, you know, or with my friends, mostly with by myself or with my friends. And it was just a great freaking time. And I think that that is what really gave me such a love that I have to this day of video games, you know, and there, there was a bit, a big period of time, you know, like when I was in college, when I did not play video games at all, because right. they could just be a huge time suck. But I, I think there's value in it. You know, still uh, and there, you know, there have been studies to show that, you know, if you pay if you play like an hour a day, you, you don't get much benefit beyond that. But like, if you play like an hour a day, you actually have better like um, not only like hand eye coordination, but like the ability to it can be depending on the game, the ability to multitask, uh, you know, to solve puzzles like faster reaction time in general. Well, the way I view it is people always have looked down on video games. Like, oh, you play video games, you're a dork, you're a nerd, you're a geek, you're a loser. It's like, well, some people sit there and, you know, watch television. And they could watch television for the exact number of hours a day that you're playing games, but at the same time, they're just sitting there staring at a screen while gamers are using their mind, exercising their phalanges. I mean, my thumbs are huge. They're just ripped. I have ripped thumbs. <laughs> well, it is a more active experience. To you know, you're sure, solving but... problems. It does, you know, I think it stimulates the brain more. If you took a brain scan of people doing both activities, the gamers are obviously using their brain more. Oh, yeah. It's it's more of an active experience, whereas, like, watching TV is generally, you know, pretty passive. Yeah. Um, but... Okay, so that's video games and computers and consoles. So what what would be your next big geek influence next big geek influence in my life chronologically it's weird that i started with computers and video games and consoles and stuff and then moved on to books hmm. you know i learned to read at about and, 10 years old basically is what you're saying chronologically. Uh, <laughs> nine or ten yeah is about when i started really getting into reading and uh what started it was we moved into this huge, the same house that I was hiding in the basement. Uh, it was a huge old Victorian house. It had like 50 windows. This house had 50 windows. Between the basement and the attic were, there was like seven or eight rooms between the basement and the attic itself. So there was a den and it had on one wall these big windows and on either side of it was bookshelves. Like basically cabinets on the bottom and then bookshelves all the way to the ceiling, 10 foot ceilings. And my dad, an avid reader himself, had those bookshelves practically full 
And, you know, as I got older, I'd start picking up books and flipping through and I found The Hobbit. And that looked interesting to me. And that was one of the first books I read. Like I said, I was nine or ten. And I read through that. And from that point forward, here I am 32 years later, 33 years later, I still love fantasy. And yeah. and it's like the games are like an escape from reality. You know, you can get into a different world and explore. Books do the same thing, but it's all in your brain. And so I got into The Hobbit, and from there, you know, through the years, I got into Stephen King, and I got into a lot of fantasy and sci-fi and stuff like that. Mostly nerdy stuff. I had never read, you know, uh, nonfiction. What's the point of that? You know, who? Oh, look, this <laughs> who happened. Who wants to learn about this the happened real in world? Real life. Who cares? <laughs> I'm 11 years old. So I read The Hobbit. I read all the Lord of the Rings. I had the Lord of the Rings audio book on cassette tape you know and it was one of my most prized possessions that has been yeah. lost lost to the mists of time but yeah i just loved reading and it got into all sorts of weird like piers anthony his oh, books God, are piers fun anthony. uh c.s yeah. lewis c.s friedman just a ton of books and that was one of the best ways i found to just get lost in the world yeah, it's oh man, it's funny you mention that, and I shouldn't be surprised, but like for me, it was also The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, big time. Now, and I know that you know these days Tolkien is old news, and he's like, you know, the cliche like, you know, fantasy like novel series, but look, he attained this sort of like cliche like, you know, ubiquitous status for good reason. He wrote these amazing books. Well, isn't the cliche based on him? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he he did not write like the first like modern fantasy novel. That was that's generally considered to be Lord Dunsany, uh, the King of Elfland's daughter. Which you have, not, if you have not read that, like, it's it's a pretty short novel and it's pretty amazing. I have not uh, heard very it. beautifully written. But uh, regardless, I, I didn't read that until much later in life. But I think The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings were the first fantasy genre novels that I ever read. And so, therefore, that's, you know, probably a big reason they were so influential. But it's also because they were just written exceptionally well, mm-hmm. you know, and they're just the way that it's written and the, the, the fact that he's just so good with, you know, using the English language. And, of course, he, like, created all these other languages, like, like whole languages, the, the wonder, the mystery, the magic of it, like there's this like mythic feeling to it, almost like it's it's history or like legend or something. You know, I really think that his style of writing, which is maybe like slightly archaic, but I think it's really nuanced and beautiful. There's actually a great podcast <laughs> called The Tolkien Professor, and it's this guy who's like a literary, uh, like a literature professor. And he he it's it's a if you like Tolkien, it is a great podcast because he 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 talks about how he really believes that like the literary merit, I guess, of of Tolkien's works are really sort of underappreciated for the simple fact that like he wrote fantasy novels, (laughs) you know. Right. But uh, really, like if you're interested in, you know, like literary, I guess, 
like in-depth like exploration of like Lord of the Rings and Tolkien. It's an amazing podcast. But suffice to say that like this was just so like the world that he created just feels so developed and real. And it, it was just it was like spending time in a magical place when my real world was either like mundane or, you know, I maybe I was like stressed out and I wanted an escape. And so being a you know, third grader isn't all it's cracked out to be. <laughs> I don't know. Well, actually, I think I read uh, I did read The Hobbit pretty early. Um, like when I was like, I know that I was reading like White Fang when I was in third grade. So I must have read The Hobbit before then. But, uh, you know, suffice to say that like it really drew me into the fantasy genre in general. And, uh, you know, I, I I remain a fan of Tolkien and the genre to this day, even if, you know, I, I'd like, you know, maybe a little more variation in my uh, in my fantasy novels these days. So that that was another big one for me. One quick story I had that just popped into my mind. I don't I vaguely remember this, but when I was probably six or seven, because it was before we moved from my childhood home. I actually went through a stint where I was reading the dictionary and my mom's told me about it. She's like, yeah, you just sit around and just flip through the dictionary. And I vaguely remember doing that. And that's like still to this day, when I ever see a dictionary, I just pick it up and flip through. And like every time you learn something, you can't flip through a dictionary and not learn, you know, a word, a definition of the word or the pronunciation. Yeah, man. You know, I can't so, even remember the last time I had a physical dictionary, though, <laughs> because I, have a, I just have an I have app on my phone now. I have a thesaurus on my bookshelf about 10 feet away, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I was young, I just flipped through a dictionary. I'd sit on the toilet, you know, uh, culturing some... Uh, Thanks her, for that image. What are those called? The, uh, the herb... Let's, herb let's, uh, let's not get into that. Uh, I don't even know, want to know what the end of that sentence is. You know, things grow out of your butt from sitting on a toilet too long when you read a dictionary when you're seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> There's a technical term for that. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, what, so what, what would be the next uh, big okay. geek influence then for the you? The next one, I went from um, books with words to books with words and pictures comics that's when i discovered comic books mm. and that's when i discovered the superheroes and that's when i discovered you know good versus bad in a uh more of a localized manner because you have good versus evil in almost every single book ever obviously in the hobbit and lord of the rings but this is more of uh you know no one reads the hobbit and is like when i grow up i want to be you know bilbo you know and defeat uh, the Balrog and all that later on. But in superheroes... Uh, it was uh, Gandalf that defeated the Balrog. That was Gandalf and defeated the Balrog. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. That's perfect. <laughs> but yeah, that's when I got into comic books. And I was probably 11 or 12. And I would ride my bicycle across town. Through now, a part of town you drive through, and if you saw an 11-year-old on a bike, you'd be like, what is this kid doing here? But that's what I did back in the day. Just ride my bicycle across town to the comic book shop, and I would just browse for like an hour. And finally, I'd choose, you know, the three or four comics that I could afford and take them home. And, you know, all of the fandoms I was getting into, because by that age, you know, 
a lot of movies had come out and I'd seen those. So now they have comic books based on movies. That's crazy. <laughs> and, you know, I just really got into comic books and I still love uh, comic books today. I've, I've recent, I've lost my original collection was probably a couple thousand comics that I lost. And uh, I've recently in the past five years started recollecting comic books again. And it feels good. It's like, oh, I used to have this one. I used to have that one. And that's a pretty nerdy thing to do is collect comic books. And, uh, you know, all of the Marvel and DC movies coming out and all of the offshoots, you know, the different companies. What what is it that you loved so much about comic books or even like a particular like really influential like series? Well, I think. And why and why is it that that this, you know thing of comic books influenced you so much i loved again like it's basically all of my uh (laughs) topics i've picked for today's episode are basically escaping reality (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like (laughs) get out of the earth get out of this life and go live somewhere else in your mind and in comic books it's you know when you read a book and then you see a movie they always do the movie wrong because that's not how you envisioned it. But with a comic book, you get the same attachment and the same feeling, but you see how they envisioned it, you know, hmm. not how you envisioned it. So it's kind of the same or a different approach to the same uh, topic almost. But I don't know. I love Spider-Man. Everyone loves Spider-Man. I love the X-Men. And then they had Alien comic books predator comic books mm-hmm. they had dark horse had the thing comic books so you're saying for you it was like kind of a gleeful escape from the awful stuff in reality basically well, or at least the boring it's, it's, stuff in reality you know when i was obviously like i said earlier it's like when you're that young you don't care to read you know yeah you uh, just want adventure fiction yeah you want, yeah. you know all kids you know are stuck in their minds and play legos and gi joes and all that stuff and just psh, form their own stories and that's kind of like having someone else form the story for you visually and with the the written word and you get sucked in just the same yeah i'm i'm kind of envious of your story about com- reading comics as a kid because my situation was i was here and there able to read comics uh that like my friends would have uh if they would occasionally show them to me or whatever but like there was literally nowhere in like my home town area where i could even go to get comics my parents never gave me an allowance or anything like that if i were to ever ask my dad for money he would basically laugh at me (laughs) you know um but moreover there was nowhere that i could go to even get them i think that there was like some like stupid like cheap like a couple comics at like the local gas station or something but there was never anything good and then like i remember like one day i heard about this like little place that had opened that was supposedly like this little comic shop and i got a couple of my friends and i was like all right let's get on our bikes we mm-hmm. had you know bmx bikes and i was like we're gonna ride out there it's like a mile or you know maybe it was like two miles or something and we're gonna get comic books that i had like (laughs) saved all this change that i had just like found on the floor at school over the previous year and i was like i'm gonna get some comic books and we drove and we rode out there and it was not a comic shop (laughs) 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 it was was not a comic shop it was like it just was not a comic shop and so i just didn't like i it was a situation for me where i always wanted 
to read more comics. And occasionally a friend of mine would have like a Wolverine comic or somebody would have an X-Men comic. And of course, you know, X-Men was a was an animated show on TV in the 90s, which was a big mm-hmm. deal, you know, and uh, and I loved that. But like I could just never get my hands on comics as a kid, like swear to God. Huh. Um, yeah. And I don't even remember. Like, I don't remember my first, you know, ex- when I was first exposed to comics uh, it's just because my brothers were never into comics. None of my friends, maybe one of my friends was, but I can't remember at that point in time. Mm-hmm. But I just f- discovered them and fell in love. And then, you know, you you flip through and they'd have the full page ads. And then you go to the back of the comic book <laughs> and have like ads for new comics coming out. And I go, mm-hmm. oh, I got to go get those. So I go <laughs> get that one next month. And it's, oh, it's great. And that was, you know, I kind of stopped collecting comics after Image Comics, uh, a couple yeah. years after they came out, I was really into Spawn and the Savage Dragon and Wet Works mm. and a couple of the other ones. And then there was, uh, oh, there's a couple other ones, the Ultraverse. It's, oh, okay. It's possible that I have so many comics now because I'm in some way making up for the fact that I wasn't able to read them when I was a kid very much, yeah. honestly. But so, okay, th- that's great. You know, for me, if I were to, like, name a couple, like, seminal comics for me, and and again, please bear in mind that this is, like, it, Spider-Man definitely was big for me, but not because I read the comics. It was because he was everywhere growing up. True. You know, X-Men was big for me because of the cartoon, and I did read a couple of the comics. I was lucky enough to do that. But, like, the ones that have been most influential for me, just if we're talking about comics, this was not really on my list because this was more of me reading them as, like, a younger adult and an old, like, you know, whatever adult I am now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, Why the Last Man, amazing. Brian K. Vaughn, I, I love his work. The Watchmen, of course. Yeah. Uh, there's there's like this Fable series that's really good. And uh, Brian K. Vaughn also did this series called Saga, which is very fantasy and sci-fi. And it's kind of about this, uh, this girl who's the daughter of these uh, parents who are from like warring like planets or clans. And it's this very, like, epic sort of, like, adventure through space. Uh, but it's basically about, like, parenthood and growing up. Uh, and, it's, and it's amazing. And the artwork in it is amazing. So I just mentioned the rattle those off really quick. Yeah. But um, in terms of, like, the next thing that I would say, like, really influenced me, and I, I can get through this one kind of quick, but Ghostbusters... Uh-huh. Okay. It's on my list, so but it didn't make my top five. I, when I was a kid, I recorded this on a VHS tape and watched it, like, every day. Like, yeah. every day. I knew every word. Me and my friends would sit there and watch it over and over again. It definitely shaped my sense of humor. Mm. And and I think, uh, just to be concise about it, because um, I don't want to go too long, but the juxtaposition of, like, the paranormal and supernatural with like high-tech gadgets, I just found so fascinating. And I think that that really helped inspire my love of, like, genre crossovers that I have now. Like, I I love a good, like, when fantasy meets sci-fi, you know, or when you have, like, a mystery that's also a science fiction thing or, you know, uh, yeah, like, stuff like that. Uh, That was just so, you know, influential to me. 
and I guess eventually we're going to have to do a ghost, some Ghostbusters uh, episodes. <laughs> but yeah. um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else I can really say about this movie that people don't already know. Honestly, uh, well, it's it's such a fantastic film, and I I think it holds up today. You know, some of the effects are a little cheesy, but it's hilarious. It's you know, hilarious. It's Dan charming. It's guys. original. It's it just really inspired. I think that what it did was it just really sort of was a fruitful ground for my imagination to blossom. Right. Uh, it just it just really, it, you know, it also kind of opened my eyes, I think, to what movies could be in the sense that, like, you know, you could have a lot of fun and be goofy, uh, but like still have like all these other like really fascinating like elements in it. And so a- anyway, that that was one of the things for me. Mm-hmm. that was really formative for me. And I, I swear to God, like, I would watch it every day. Every day I would watch it. Like, that VHS tape uh, probably would not be even usable at this point. Yeah, and, you know, we both have kids, and your kids aren't quite to the age yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think your son's getting close, where he can really sit down and watch a movie and have him pay attention to the whole thing from mm-hmm. beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, my kids are this year turning 12 and 18, so I have had that uh, chance to share with them. That's great. You know, the movies I had grown up, and they love Ghostbusters. They love <laughs> yeah? so oh, much. that's great. Yeah, they have How the old Ghost- were they when you had them watch Ghostbusters for the first time? Oh, it was, I mean, my daughter, she was probably, I'd say five or six. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I, I start my kids on movies early. They probably have watched things they shouldn't have by their age, but they're well-formed adults now and in children form. But uh, no, it's just that that's such a great movie. and That's real it, interesting because, you know, sometimes I wonder, because that movie was what, like 85 or something? I can't, uh-huh. I can't even, I should have looked it up. But uh, the thing is, like, I sometimes I wonder, like, would quote-unquote kids today, just people that are being influenced, like, in- introduced to it for the first time at a young age, like we were, like, today, do- are they still getting something out of it? Like, that's the kind of thing that I wonder. Like, I feel like it should stand up, but, you know, am I out of touch? I have no freaking clue. Uh, no, I, I, I've, i you know, it came out in 1984. You were close, one year old. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but, uh, no, my kids, when they first saw it, there was no hesitation or anything like that. Especially my my daughter, when she saw it, she was a little younger. And my son's kind of always been critical of stuff as he gets older. And like, these special effects are crappy. It's like this movie's three years old, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, they both just fell in love with it. And anytime there was a new Ghostbusters game, I had to go buy it. Anytime there's a new Ghostbusters you know, this or that coming out. My son yeah. had the Ghostbusters uh, Lego set. They had the something for the Xbox. I don't remember like, having a lot of Ghostbusters toys per se, but I remember like making my own Ghostbusters toys. And it was right. more of like we're pretending to be Ghostbusters rather than like playing with Ghostbusters action figures, if that yeah, makes sense. No, there you was know? A, it was kind of like... I can't remember what it was. That called. was actually now that I think about it, God, that was actually big for me and my my buddies when I was a kid. You know, in the mid '80s, is like, all right, it's time to play Ghostbusters. Get out the trap, you know. Right. Get out your backpack with your, uh, pro- <laughs> mm-hmm. 
you know. And you know the the app came out on the the iPhone years ago where you're hunting ghosts and you walk through right, your house yeah. and then suddenly it'll it's one of those early AR apps, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's just stupid, but no, Ghostbusters is a timeless classic. It's hilarious. It's so much fun, and I could still watch it to this day. You know? uh, in fact, we probably will. Uh, it's probably very so, shortly. Yeah. So okay. So I have two other big geeky influences that I want to talk about, uh, you know, without taking too much time. So do you have something else you want to say? And then I can get into mine or. Well, uh, my my next one is kind of a continuation because what I did is on my list, I wrote down a bunch of movies. Mine will take very little time. Um, This is basically my number four. Okay. Because what I would what I would do is you know growing up I had the Ghostbusters and all the other movies, but one thing that I'd like to mention is some of those other movies like Back to the Future. Oh yeah, that that one was uh, yeah that's a big influence. Princess Bride, Spaceballs, even War Games. You know where the computers you know are starting to take over. That's what started. So so what is it about this this list of movies then that makes them such a big influence on you? Well, Back to the Future, obviously, that's another one similar to Ghostbusters. It's so kid-friendly. And time travel, that that was my first real travel. you know, introduction to time travel. And that is a fantastic topic for a nerd to still, you know, we're still trying to figure it out. Nerds saw Back to the Future that was created by nerds who wrote stories about time travel, about <laughs> nerds traveling through time. And now nerds today are trying to make Back to the Future happen. You know, so it's CERN. We're working on it. We're working on it. If you've seen it in a movie, they're trying to make it happen. Uh, The Princess Bride, like I mentioned, Spaceballs and like those movies, a lot of them really helped form my sense of humor. And one of the best ones was I once had a great aunt or a grandma or something that died. And we all have to deal with death in our own ways. And the way my family would do it is we would all go to my aunt's house in Warren and we would all get together. Everyone would bring bring food and there'd just be acres of food and the parents would make some beverages and talk amongst themselves. And the children would go downstairs and for some reason, every time someone died, kids would go downstairs and watch Monty Python. (laughs) <laughs> and seems I oddly appropriate lo- that's how yeah i'd like i never saw monty python unless someone in my family died for like a stretch of you know six or seven years i yeah you know what just to interject real quick i wasn't planning on like getting into monty python because that i feel like that's like a whole series of episodes but definitely a huge influence on me and my sense of humor for yeah. sure for sure okay and, and it, it changed my sense of humor it changed what I look for in movies and shows in the future. And, you know, it's, I mean, Monty Python, I read or I heard on a podcast somewhere that the Monty Python show was only like three or four seasons. Monty Python's Flying Circus? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it was, it was like Monty Python. Like it's on all Netflix, by the way, now. Yeah. It's like there was so much crammed into such a little period of time and there's so much stuff that came out of it so much oh yeah absolutely yeah money if someone doesn't like money python and from there i got they really pioneered the way humor is done on tv yeah go ahead yeah like like money python i 
Are You Being Served? I used to watch that oh, I used show. to watch that too. I remember and the cash register I, sounds. I, my, one of my friends introduced me to Red Dwarf. And, mm. you know, just the whole British angle, I think, is kind of a, kind of a nerdy thing. Even if someone's a normal person, no, I think but they is. watch British stuff, they're kind of a nerd. So you're saying that British humor in these shows was basically very formative for you. And then, like, the other sort of, like... 80s classics that you mentioned were just sort of like a, a way for you to escape and like deal with things in a like a social environment like in a time right. of grief it's like, like ghostbusters and back to the future and the princess bride well maybe not the princess bride so much but those are mostly just straightforward stories about basically an alternate reality but when you get into the british side they just approach things kind of out of left field. And the jokes, you kind of have to listen to some a few times before you understand them and get them like, oh, that's genius. <laughs> Whereas with American cinema at that time, everything seemed pretty much laid out step by step. Then you can kind of predict what's going on. Well, that I was- mean, to your point, I mean, there's definitely a difference, especially in that era between like humor on the mm-hmm. you know across the pond and humor here in the United States and uh, I was always a huge fan of British humor ever since I was exposed to it initially and that might have been mighty Monty Python frankly yeah. um, but uh, yeah I, that that's all great stuff and I think it's decided that we have to have a Monty Python series of episodes now <laughs> that's okay, going so to happen let me write this point. down we're doing Monty Python and Ghostbusters <laughs> yes upcoming constantly. episodes folks yeah yeah so all right let's move on to the last couple of things I mean we we could literally talk for hours about any one of these right yeah but let's move on to the last couple things so one of the and this is one of the biggest ones like if I was able to rank these things in terms of like most influential to least influential or something if I was really able to do that this one would be close to the top I'm talking about Star Trek specifically Star <laughs> Trek the next generation I knew Star Trek was Dude, coming Star Trek The Next Generation was my show the seven years that it ran. It was it was an oasis to me for so many reasons. Part of the period of time that it was airing was uh, a really difficult time for me. But I mean, beyond that, I mean, I just think it's a great show was very it's, it's become like a cultural touchstone for that like whole era, you know, at least in this country and. It's it's my favorite of the Star Trek shows, for sure. I mean, I, I like the original series, and, you know, I have a lot of great things to say about uh, DS9, and I think there are things to like in Voyager, but and so on. But uh, Star Trek TNG is just was just it for me. I mean, so the, the reasons I think it was so influential and inspiring to me, and it really was influential and inspiring in, in a really genuine way, since I'm really sincere when I say that it's not just like hyperbole I'm not exaggerating it's like it portrays this like better world where people have been able to get past so many of our differences there's this inherent quality of like optimism and hope in it and you know for for these reasons and more <laughs> that I'm going to describe like sometimes I have to go back and watch an episode or two just to help me like keep my sanity in this day and age I swear but, like, it, this is also a world where – or a setting, I guess. It's, like, across the galaxy. But it's a setting where people, by and large, 
embrace what unites them rather than becoming like more and more like polarized and hateful of each other. Mm-hmm. It's a society where and characters who embody like this sense of curiosity and it it portrays people who are maybe this is part of the core of it to as to why I you know it, it was so influential to me but it portrays people who are constantly trying to just do the right thing the moral and ethical thing even when that means accepting uncomfortable truths or when it's extremely difficult or when doing the right thing means that maybe I'm not doing the exact like uh, thing that is in my short term like some type of like selfish interest they these are characters who deal with cognitive dissonance in a logical way where you know or at least they try and muddle their way through it in that way where like science has informed society to this degree where people are actually capable of critical thinking <laughs> these this is how the characters were portrayed in the show this is i this is a future where people are free and they're empowered to realize their full potential it's a future where technology is used to uplift humanity rather than to like just exploit it and like squeeze like more you know profit uh, you know out of people it's definitely got a, like a, a like a technophile sort of like bent to it where you know it's like technology can help us make everything better and it, you know there's also spaceships and aliens and you know uh, it, it definitely helped inspire some of my interest in like science and space and and science fiction and stuff but like those I think are the core thing I've and I've thought about this like over the years quite a bit you know because at, at some point like I just started wondering like man why do I love this so much obviously I love it but like what is it about this this show that really gets me and I think that some of those things that I have described are why I'm not a huge fan of the newer Star Trek movies mm-hmm. and certainly uh, the new animated Star Trek Lower Decks show, which I feel in many ways is sort of like giving the opposite message of what Star Trek has been historically, which made it great. And I don't want to get into like the like why new Star some new Star Trek is bad or whatever. That's like a whole other episode. I have not watched that yet. I can't. Uh, I can't bear to do it after my initial. I can't. It's, it's because uh, it's like little, it's so little be, little contrary. Behind the scenes action. We had discussed. You know, covering that on this podcast. Well, I would like to have an episode. Uh, heads up, people! I would heads like up. to have an episode where we just talk about Star Trek in general, in terms mm-hmm. of this phenomenon where it doesn't seem to be quite as successful now as it used to be, and and why that might be, and you know what I think are the problems with things like Star Trek Lower Decks. Well, which, Garfield isn't ex- as successful now as it used. Well, to be. that's why we need to have a whole conversation <laughs> about it, you know. But but just suffice to say that like this show. But lasagna still top of the charts. Oh yeah, still top of the charts. But I mean, suffice to say, like this show, I like I did not think about it at the time when I was you know growing up and watching it in this way. Uh, I I would just like really loved the show and I found it compelling and I wanted to watch it every week. But like looking back on it, I really feel like certain characters in that show were 
my role models for that period of uh, that very formative period of my life. And I think that that has only been to my benefit. For example, you know, Captain Par Picard. Exemple. Captain Picard. Okay, so here's an episode that I think illustrates like many of these things that I'm talking about. There is an episode in like the seventh season, I think, called uh, Force of Nature or Forces of Nature. And it was basically about, you know, this... The Enterprise comes to, like, help this stranded Ferengi ship, and they're like, we were attacked. And then this, like, little teeny tiny ship, like, quote-unquote, attacks the Enterprise. But it's, like, so, you know, it's so underpowered compared to the Enterprise that it's, like, totally laughable, and they're not even capable of hurting the Enterprise. But yet they're they're doing this, and, and they, they basically capture them and bring them on board— and it's these scientists, and they're like, hey, we're just really trying to get your attention because you're killing us. And Picard is like, "What? wait, what? What are you talking about? And he's not really inclined to uh, trust these people because they're kind of like classified as terrorists because of what they did to the Ferengi ship and their ship or something. But basically what, what ends up happening is they, they say, look, we're scientists and nobody's listening to us. We need you to understand that using warp drive is destroying the very fabric of space-time, and it's already destroying our entire planet. And at first, you know, Picard and his whole team are like, that's crazy talk. <laughs> what is wrong with you? You can't just, like, come out and start throwing your little puny lasers at our ship, you know, whatever. But he does, you know, hear them out. And after they are shown proof, basically, I'm not going to get into like every twist and turn of the episode, but like basically they're eventually presented with this data and some hard proof of like what they're claiming. You know, Picard and his peeps, they actually sit down and they're like, well, shit, this is actually real. Like we we ha we can't just ignore this. And this is obviously like you know, a metaphor or an allegory for, like, climate change or, like, ecological damage. Um, that's right. that's basically what it is. And, and um, you know, and he basically sits down and he says, all right, wait a minute. So we actually have to adjust our own thinking to realize that we have been causing these people harm and we're also causing ourselves harm because, like, this is really bad. Like, if, if this keeps up, then... You know, we're not going to be able to use warp drive anymore, which means that, you know, galactic civilization as we know it is screwed and like all of, you know, all of this stuff. And it actually ends up turning out that this has implications in the sort of like whole Star Trek setting, which is that there's like this speed limit now where you're not supposed to go, go above like a certain warp speed unless it's an emergency to kind of help to begin to kind of mitigate the damage. And it wasn't dealt with, like, too much after that episode in Star Trek. Uh, and it was also in, like, the final season of that show. But um, nevertheless, that's just, an, like, an example of how, you know, even when confronted with some really serious cognitive dissonance, like, we thought we were just, you know, these great explorers who were doing wonderful things and standing up for what's right, when suddenly we find out, like, oh... Like, we've been ca causing harm without even knowing it. And instead of just being like, well, whatever, <laughs> or denying it, right, 
or just imprisoning those people for life and calling them terrorists, they actually adjusted their thinking to account for what the reality actually was, you know, even though it was very uncomfortable because they have this attitude where, you know, facts and the truth matters and we have to constantly strive to be doing the right thing. And that's just... And so many people have forgotten that. Well, (laughs) we don't need to get into that. But I will say that it's seeing this kind of behavior is a great solace to me these days. And I I think that that is just an example of why it's such a standout show for me and why I think it's it's remembered so fondly, you know, in a cultural sense. What I don't know. What are your thoughts on Star Trek? Uh, Star Trek. I'm going to go in my quick capsule review. I love Star Trek, but I've never gotten sucked in. I've never gotten immersed i love the movies i love the next generation i watched that all the time when i was growing up when i was younger but i never like uh the new what's the new the newest show called discovery discovery i watched like most of the first season of that i really love any kind of sci-fi space thing but i just never i don't know what it is because what i've watched i really liked but it never sucked me into the point that I'm like, oh, got to follow up, got to see the next episode, <laughs> got to follow through. But I'm not, I'm not against it in any way. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know how many original Star Trek movies there are. Like the first six. Well, six with the original crew, and then you know, uh, Next Generation had like at least. I, when I, did sh- I don't think I watched any of the movies before Picard. Like I've never seen the Wrath of Khan. What the f- I told what? you. I just told right. you. Now You're going to have now, to change no, this. No, no, no. Listen, listen. Let me finish. <laughs> Here we are. We are Jess and Will, co-hosts of the Mecha Dragon podcast. And we're talking about our geeky, dorky influences through history, basically. And one third of our freaking episodes have been based on what? Star... Wars, and neither of us <laughs> has mentioned it to this point in the podcast. That's my final my big influence that I want to oh, talk about. So now's the time. Spoiler alert, hold on, because I got some, pardon my language, shit to blow your mind that I've just learned during the recording of this episode. And uh, like I said, I love Star Trek, never got into it as much as you, not against it. I just never, never had that thing. And I'm thinking my number one is going to blow your mind. But here I have a couple facts about Star Trek that uh, might excite and moisten some of our listeners. Okay. First of all, like I said, Star Wars, we haven't mentioned yet. What's going on? We mentioned movies. We mentioned this. Star Wars never showed up. That's weird. Secondly... Where is it? Oh, yes. In 1960, uh, the military launched its first nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. Can you guess what it was called? It was called the Enterprise. The Enterprise was launched on September 24th, today. Oh. Yes. Oh, cool. It was launched and christened today on September 24th, 
1960. I don't know the date for this, but also the first space shuttle, the prototype, was called the uh, Enterprise. Yes, and there was also, as I was scrolling down on my Wikipedia, which is trustworthy in all accounts, in popular culture, uh, the Enterprise... uh, In 1986, the Enterprise was a setting of scenes in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was. The ship was unavailable for filming, so scenes depicting Enterprise were filmed on the USS Ranger, but... Nuclear Wessels. Nuclear Wessels. As Chekhov said in that movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I I love Star Trek. So, yeah, so basically there was an American aircraft carrier named in honor of Star Trek, named the Enterprise, and there were actually scenes of future movies filmed on deck. Yeah, Jane Roddenberry creator of Star Trek, by the way, served on the Enterprise, which was a ship in World War II, uh, oh, which is why very. that's what he used uh, for the ship on, you know, on the wow. show. Wow. So, so we're talking like three generations of Enterprise. <laughs> it's know. got a long and storied history, actually, ships named Enterprise. Uh, and yeah, you can cool. see, and you can see, I think, most, if not all of them in the intro to Star Trek Enterprise, <laughs> as a matter of fact. But so, huh. okay, so let's let's move on to our final uh, Geek Influences subject, which okay, is... Okay, since you already uh, gave us a spoiler alert, go ahead. Which is Star Wars. Star Wars! <laughs> yeah, so uh, so why don't, why don't you start and I will finish. How about oh, that? Star Wars. Um, that was one of the movies I would spend... Like you said, what would you watch over and over? Ghostbusters? Mm-hmm. Star Wars was what I watched over and over and over. Every time my cousin was over, my friend Jason from across the street, they'd come over. We'd watch Star Wars, never-ending story. Star Wars, <laughs> never-ending story. Star Wars, just back and forth. And just popcorn, popcorn, popcorn for hours. And, you know, Star Wars was another, like I said, all my stuff's based in escaping reality. Star Wars was going into space. And I have always my entire life just been fascinated by the idea of endless space Mm -hmm. the vast nothingness and there's so many movies uh like never ending story Mm -hmm. never ending story has like the nothing where the nothing comes in and devours everything but that's kind of the opposite of what, what space is it's you know something that never ends but in the end, it's kind of a, a nothingness on its own. So I've always been fascinated by space. By the way, after this podcast is over, I might go play No Man's Sky because it's got a pretty sweet new update, folks, which just came out yesterday, September 23rd. Boom. But uh, yeah, I've just always loved outer space and space stories and sci-fi. Anything just draws me in. So Star Wars was great and... Again, it's a it's a kid friendly story with characters that just draw you in and can be watched over and over and over. And I've watched all of the Star Wars movies dozens of times with my children. They never get old. Even Rise of Skywalker, dozens of times. I've watched it four times today. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Every single every single one. Millions of I've watched one million hours of Star Trek. Wars. Fuck. (laughs) Star Wars. (laughs) But no, Star Wars is 
Fantastic. And like I said, I actually do have it written down on my list and I didn't mention it. And then when you finally mentioned Star Trek, I was like, well, we forgot Star Wars. So oh, yeah. Can't let's hear let's hear Captain Will's Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars. Well, I, I think like a lot of people, Star Wars is very special to me. And um, I think that there are good reasons for that. Um, I mean, the, the fact that it's very special to many, many people. So, I mean, you know, just at a surface level, like, it's basically a space fantasy. And so it already had all these elements that I already love from, like, fantasy and science fiction. You know, spaceships, light speed, aliens, mystical warriors, the force, like, all this stuff, right? So, like, on the surface, it has all these cool you know, like genre elements and it's like in the format of of these old like serials because, you know, it has the text crawl at the beginning and of course, you know, the original Star Wars movie was episode four. So you feel like you're being dropped in like in the middle of something, you know, that's already going on and, you know, there's this sense of like uh, things uh, have already happened leading up to this, you know. But there was always something deeper to the the story, you know, the original trilogy specifically is what I'm talking about. There's all something deeper than just like a space adventure with laser swords and like people with telekinetic, you know, quasi religious like powers. Now, Lucas, George Lucas has talked a lot about how he wanted to play with psychological motifs and like elements from mythology and stuff that, you know, had been infected for many years in stories and myths and, 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 and stories across, you know, from like just even oral traditions, like you know the the, the Greek epics and things, and he wanted to see if they still engaged the human psyche, and it turns out they really, really did. They do, you know. This I think it's this whole mythic underpinning of Star Wars that gave it this kind of like depth and this like just strong resonance with people that allowed it to have the kind of social impacts and like psychological impact that it has had and which I think was really more than movies had before you know 1977 when the first one came out right and again you know when I was growing up watching this as a kid over and over again like you I would not have really been able to articulate all of this but like if this is about geek things that have influenced us and why we love them and why they were so influential that's why I'm kind of laying this out you know uh, because I've thought about it and I think one of the things about it is there's this really clear spiritual element to it especially in that original trilogy in like Yoda and the and the Jedi and I think that that is something that kind of elevates the story a little bit in the sense that it makes it about a lot more than just like killing the bad guy and blowing up the super weapon right you know and I think also so there's this like man versus machine and like rebels versus empire motif in it that kind of brought this new metaphor for modern life deep into the cultural zeitgeist, if I can use a big fancy word. Mm, spell that. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I can, but whatever. But I mean, basically, like, you know, there's this idea of, of modern life as like being part of a machine. And there's a lot of symbolism in you know, Darth Vader as this man who's now more machine, you know, than than biological human being. And uh, like, I don't want to like delve into like all the symbolism, but I'm the point being this 
gives the movie more impact, you know, that trilogy of movies more impact. And even if, and I don't think most people even, I think it hits most people like on a subconscious level, which it's kind of meant to do, you know. And so, like I'm saying, like as a kid, I would not have been able to like articulate exactly why it was like so influential to me. But I think that these like psychological motifs, you know, that Lucas talks about and these elements from mythology, because like, you know, he used Joseph Campbell's work in like uh, The Masks of God and um, the, the Hero's Journey, which are uh, books that I love now. He used them as tools to tell a story about the things that matter to people. And, you know, he's also talked about how it's I, I think it's a really I think it's a story. I think it's a really deep story, actually. Um, yeah, it's a super like the way they wrote it. It's a very accessible story because well, I mean, Lucas isn't the greatest at like writing dialogue or anything. Yeah. And he, but it's so clear what the story is about and the elements are all there. Um, a couple characters might have uh, fallen outside of the Venn diagram of what fans are looking for, if you will. Um, <clears throat> Charge our picks. But uh, I think overall, it's it's a they created a world that is so vast and encompassing that it really sets your imagination aflame. Oh, true. And it's like the, oh, the world building. If I lived in this in this universe, who would I be in this story? It's like everyone kind of relates themselves to the heroes in the story. And that's what makes a good story. And it's also and accessible for kids too. Yeah, it's it's very family, which I friendly, think is important part of it. Yeah, and it's funny, and uh, it's not quite to the level of Pixar and stuff in the future where uh, they have jokes that kids won't understand for twenty years. It's a different type of humor and, and <laughs> well, it like is the style in Star Wars than Pixar, you know. But I I think that it does appeal to both kids and adults in a certain way, and that's part of its success. But, like, I actually want to play this um, clip uh, for everybody that's from an interview that uh, George Lucas did, I believe, with Charlie Rose, where he was talking about the meaning of Star Wars. Oh, I think I've heard this. One of the things that Lucas has said many times about Star Wars is that it's basically a story about how some people are really selfish and how some people are selfless. Um, and, and the conflict that arises and what happens when that becomes out of balance and, like, things like that. But he he also has this great clip that I'm just going to share just a little part of it with everybody where he talks about what it means and why it's important to have a story like Star Wars. So here's the clip. But it's a lot about good and evil. It's a lot about heroes. It's about good and evil. But heroes, what makes a hero? What's friendship? What's the idea of sacrificing yourself for something larger? Yeah. They're all really basic things. They say, well, right. you don't have to make a movie about that. It's very obvious, but it's actually not. It's not that obvious to a lot of people, unless you have somebody tell you every generation that this is what our country believes in. So this is what we believe in. And it, with Star Wars, it was, you know, the, the religion, the, everything was so um, taken and put into a form that was easy for everybody to accept so it didn't fall into a, a contemporary mode where you could argue about it. Uh, it went everywhere in the world because they could say, oh, the things I believe in are the same as that. Most people in the world believe exactly the same thing. They and share the same. They share the same beliefs. Yeah. It's, it they want to do well by their children. They want to 
Well, it's, live it's a good life. It's they something wanna... that I came up, that the idea of why do we think the way we think? Why do we do what we do? Why do we form our society the way we find it? It was something I did when I was about eight years old with my mother and she was putting me to bed. I asked her a question. I said, Mom, if there's only one God, why are there so many religions? <laughs> and it's a question that has fascinated me ever since. Right. You know, and if you really look at it and you say, well, most people say, well, what's the difference between a Shia and a, and a Sunni? What's the difference between a Catholic and a, and a Protestant? Well, they're really different. Or we all believe in the Jewish God, but what about the Jewish God and the gods that came before? And the, you know, Buddha's a little bit different, but in the end, if you think of it as one God, you say, well, everybody expresses it differently, but it's still, you know, basically don't kill people. Yeah and be compassionate and love people. And so that's basically all Star Wars is. <laughs> so I, I think that Lucas is absolutely right on when he says that, and that is a really important part of Star Wars. And I think that however you feel about the latest, you know, the, the, the new trilogy of Star Wars movies, I think that one of the reasons that those movies have been divisive is because... Uh, it's it's kind of lost its way where where that and some other things are concerned. Well, I have two points on that. First, you can hear all about a lot of those epi- uh, a lot of those movies on our past episodes of Mecha Dragon, MechaDragon.net, Spotify, Apple, everywhere else. Um, you can listen to us talk about it. But also, it's like like I mentioned earlier, the story and the world is made for someone to really kind of put themselves into and the, it, it may, like Star Wars makes you almost look at yourself in a different way and that's what was written through the stories hmm. and you kind of put yourself in that place in that world and from there it just sends your imagination you know running wild it it sends your imagination running wild while at the same time like doing all of this other like deep stuff that I've been like hinting at well, you know yeah it's like when you watch one of the greatest uh, sci-fi horror movies ever, Alien. No one watching that movie is like, wow, I wish I lived in this universe. Oh, <laughs> what would I do here? Who would I be? It's like, they're like, yeah. ah, run. You're going to, ah, you know. Well, but that's actually, Wars, that's actually a really good point that I just want to expand on for a second because, so this was, I think, in an episode of The Gallery, which is about the making of The Mandalorian, and they have this these, like, roundtable sessions where, like, all the oh, wow. like creators of that show... Have you watched it? I have not, but Mandalorian's coming out. So one week, of the ladies. people on the, like, little council of creators or whatever that's sitting around talking is Dave Filoni, who George Lucas mm-hmm. hired to basically run uh, the Clone Wars animated show with him and has worked on a lot of Star Wars stuff uh, And he since did then. an episode of The Mandalorian, correct? Yeah, he directed at least one episode of it. He's one of the major, you know, uh, creative voices in guiding that show. Uh, he was one of the star. Uh, he was one of the X-wing pilots in one of the episodes, actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he also, before he even worked on Star Wars, he was one of the. Uh, he worked on um, uh, Avatar: The Last An- Airbender, the animated show, which is kind of renowned for having amazing story. So, but anyways, the the point being, not so much. The one movie. of the things that he said that Luke, that George Lucas always told him was like, he's like, don't forget to make it hopeful. Because, you know, kids need that and it's it's important for everybody. And so when you made that comment about like comparing it to like the, you know, the alien movies right. like setting, like 
yeah. <laughs> well, and that's perfect, too. Like, Star Trek is always more... It's almost like a space detective. It's like if you had... It's, uh, it's space opera Columbo with, with in a, space. Yeah. With played by element. Captain Kirk. Yeah. You know, it's space opera Star with uh, an investigative or like but procedural. Star element, Wars but. is one of the, I would say, ultimate uh, portrayals of good versus evil. It definitely. And definitely. it is the word you used perfectly hopeful. It is hopeful. Everyone's striving a for new a new hope. Perfect. Yes. So I think that nailed. I have nothing. That was that was a, that was a great cap on that. I think. <laughs> that was that was a great cap on that. Yeah, I mean, I would. I mean, you know, we'll have to have more Star Wars episodes because we could talk about this all day. But right, um, I think that is actually a really great place to leave it. Uh, and certainly, you know, the element of giving me hope is one that makes me return to Star Wars again and again. And one of the reasons it was so you know incredibly influential to me. So I uh, have not loved one hundred percent. Of the Star Wars that I've experienced, so we can talk about I that. I will always, time. I will always return to Star Wars. Yes, as will I, as as perhaps it should be. Um, one or my number one geek influence has been earlier. You mentioned how you felt a sense of community and friendship. That was back when we were talking about computer games and stuff. When you had friends that also had the games. And then comic books. You had friends and everything. You knew people that were inspired by similar things. And they inspired you in turn. Basically, my number one is... I don't know if you can guess this. But speaking of community and friends, it's Advanced Dungeons... And dragons. Oh God, yeah. That is in. That's my. That's got to be one of my top ones too. I feel like shit that I didn't <laughs> mention that. <laughs> well, no, because some of the best times in my life. And have you recognized the theme of my choices building up to this? Escaping reality. reality? What yeah. better way of escaping reality is there from creating your own escape? Yeah, and... D&D in a way, and you know, like tabletop role-playing games, if you want to talk about other systems, is almost like the ultimate. Uh, it, it's like I probably have more. This is like to your point exactly. I probably have more great, like fond memories of like just times with friends playing D&D than like doing anything else. Yeah, and you've probably played four times, five times, ten times as much D&D as I have because I never got into it until I met you guys in uh, middle and high school. And for about five years, we'd all get together. Was it every weekend? Every other weekend? It was a lot. And basically, we just get together and create a world that we lived in and it was one of the most dorkiest <laughs> you know all the jocks and all the you know hot girls in school had wanted nothing to do with us whatsoever <laughs> they we were definitely the pocket protector glasses with the uh, masking tape on them we were the dorks and we Loved it. I was a little those, bit less of a dork in high school, but your point is well. Well, I mean, we started in middle school, I guess. But uh, 
No, that was some of the best times of my life, and that is the ultimate dorky thing: LARPing, AD and D. Oh, hold on, all that now. stuff. I, I I do not include LARPing as one of my most wonderful no. geeky influences. <laughs> no, I'm not saying about that. it's. I, I'm not calling it one of our influences. I'm saying it's one of the dorkiest things. Sure. When you say LARPing, people are like, did you say LARPing? Kinda I did like do some LARPing for did. vampire. I did do some LARPing for vampire the mask. Oh, here but, we go. Uh, it but, was not. Yeah. yeah, it didn't work out too well. But yeah, sitting around a table, rolling some dice. Hold on a second. But yeah, just like that is totally living in the world of our imaginations. Yeah. But not only was it that, but it was so much more dynamic than like watching something, reading a book or even playing a game because we're literally in control of the entire story. Uh, So it's sort of a, a, a cooperative, you know, shared story that we create with these characters who are like on some level, at least people that we want to be or at least characters that we have a lot of fun playing with. Well, it's kind of like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, when you're watching Alien, no one wants to choose their role. But in Star Wars, yes, you do want to choose your role. And what would you do with it? With D&D, you can not only create your character from the ground up, you can also choose your role in the story and act it out how you would yourself. And that, I think, is the greatest not only escape from reality sort of thing, which I kind of have a theme of, but it is so nerdy, and we were such <laughs> dorks. And yeah. uh, what did we watch? We watched the that animated, was it Heavy Metal? What are you talking about? Oh, oh, oh Heavy Metal, the Heavy Metal yeah. Uh, yeah. I animated remember we'd movie. Like, we'd play D&D for a while, and then someone would put on Heavy Metal, and we'd watch that, you know? And we'd always have pizza and... You know, of course, soda. before I even played D and D, I would watch the the old cartoon on TV, and that was like that was <laughs> that had an extra element of like excitement for me because my parents didn't want me to watch it because oh, yeah. it was during the and, and if you and if you haven't heard of this, uh, dear listeners, look up the uh, the Satanic Panic of the mm-hmm. of the like eighties where everybody thought that D and D was literally of the devil, and yeah. there's like all these hilarious like reactions against it. Like uh, there's actually a movie with Tom Hanks called, I think, Mazes and Monsters, where he's basically the idea of the movie is he's a and d player that begins to be unable to tell fantasy from reality. And he ends Sounds up like, like a subtle play. And he ends up like dying play. lost in the sewers or some shit like that. <laughs> but Dungeons like and dragons, mazes and monsters. There was a whole 60 minutes like like story on how D&D was bad or like the reaction against it there's like these these crazy like uh like comics that were created by like I don't I can't remember whether it was like a Christian group or something but like detailing how it would just lead you to the devil it's like hilarious now but uh anyway yeah. uh but so my mom you know didn't want me to watch the cartoon right would, and that's another thing it. while you're on Google in 2020 googling satanic panic or whatever it was uh scroll back through the alphabet a bit till you hit b and look up bible belt because when we were playing dungeons and dragons all of that took place pretty much balls deep in the bible belt here in the midwest and there was Consider a lot of the that. bible belt up in ohio where we were i don't know about that that's pretty uh, I think that was more south. But, you know, regardless, I think your point is is well taken. But, yeah, 
uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons was one of the greatest escapes. And just how many times have you heard of it in popular culture not being referred to as a bunch of dorks. <laughs> there's I mean, there's a couple of really great episodes of Community where they play D and D. Yeah. Uh, by the way, um, that are just great. Um, yeah. But that... yeah, you know what? God, I'm so glad you brought this up now because it's got to be one of my top three geek influences. I mean, it's really cr- so. You know, uh, as I've stated on this podcast before, like I'm a writer, and you know, I moved to to Hollywood at some point to work in the film industry. And, you know, I'm generally kind of a creative person. And, like, I think it's really informed my, like, just whole life as a creative person, to be totally honest, um, playing D&D. And just because it's such a creative activity, I guess. Yeah, because you can. it helps you step into roles, too. You know, it's like, oh, now I need to be this person. This is what I would do if this was happening to me. And then you act it out in real life. It's like, hey, it worked, huh? Magic missile. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. I think that's my number one. And yeah. uh, just, what, two months ago, after 20 years away from it, I got back into D&D uh, with Captain Will and some <laughs> of the friends yes. that we just discussed playing Dungeons & Dragons with. And... Who knows? We mentioned Monty Python. That might be a future episode. We mentioned Ghostbusters. That might be a future episode. We mentioned Heavy Metal. That might be a future episode. Oh, yeah. We we've got Dungeons lots of fertile Dragons. ground here for uh, many future episodes. There might episodes, be some but... uh, Dungeons & Dragons coming from Mecha Dragon in the future, yo. Oh, yeah. So let's just wrap up uh, real quick. So, I mean, we've discussed all of these geek influences, and I think the, the recurring theme that I'm seeing is that these were things that we loved so much growing up, not only because they had really, like, fascinating, like, sci-fi or fantasy elements that we just found to be, like, super interesting and engaging, but but also, like, so, A, there's that where our imaginations were just, like, absolutely, like, opened and, you know, engaged, and it kind of, these are things that made our imaginations run wild, so that's A, B is they were a handy escape from reality <laughs> mm-hmm. when we often needed that. Yeah, I didn't realize I was creating a theme when I did it. Well, I mean, it's ter- <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't thinking about that either, but that that has become a theme of what we're talking about. And I think, you know, C for me, these are also things. Well, OK, C and D would be, I think there's an element of they inspired us to some degree and brought us like hope. Right. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's that. I mean, and I include like the, the humor stuff in that. Right. Is like inspiring. It brought us hope. It made us laugh. It made us like feel better about ourselves and about life and everything. And then, you know, for me, uh, at least these things also had like a really deep, um, a really like consequential, like creative impact on me, you know, because I, I'm a writer and I like to create you know, in different ways, run D&D adventures, I, you know, so, so impact, you know, and influence as a creative person. I mean, there's definitely, you know, literary and like film influences that are very near and dear to my heart and kind of affect the way that I maybe think about, you know, stories and entertainment quite a bit. Now, would you say, would you say that's all pretty accurate? Or are there any other themes that you can identify? I would say, uh, I concur. All right. Well, do you have any final 
comments, I guess, very uh, briefly. Final comments, like I said, it's when we first came up with the idea for the 50th, 50th episode and kind of discussed the geek stories that inspired us, I really got into thinking about it and I couldn't really, like I mentioned earlier, usually we do a little bit of research before our episodes, but this one is an episode where we're talking about ourselves and how do you research that? <laughs> so we just kind of, you know, you know, took it and flew with it. And we jumped out of the nest and learned to fly as this episode developed. And I think we did really well. This was a lot of fun. And I think everyone should look back. Because if you're listening to us, you're a nerd. You're a geek. You're a dork. You, you fit in. You're a poindexter somewhere along the line. So look back at what made you what you are today. Maybe revisit it, share it with your friends. It was fun to think about it and to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. And also bring it back the community and friends. Use this as an excuse to And the community get, would be a get the back other thing. into stuff. That's the other theme. You you nailed it. Community. It's brought us into like a whole community of like minded people and I love that. Um yeah, and it's crazy to think that this is our fiftieth episode. Yeah crazy <laughs> to, to think and we've got you know, we've got at least 50 more left in us probably a lot more than that i think those are some pretty good final thoughts on this episode so i just want to thank everybody for listening you know this has been a fun one for us and we wanted to do something just a tiny bit different and more you know maybe intimate like i was saying mm. for our 50th episode this milestone do you want to give everybody our uh, social media info i sure do you're obviously listening to us on some sort of internet-powered device, and on that internet-powered device, you can find things like Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher, Anchor, who we are hosted by, and uh, the whole entire internet, which we are populating. And you can find us at mechadragon.net. All of those places I listed before are where you can find our podcast. Be sure to give us a thumbs up, five-star rating, uh, good reviews on any and all platforms. Tell all your friends. Tell the community about us. If you're on Facebook, you can find us as Mecha Dragon. Twitter and Instagram, we're at Mecha Dragon Show. And if you still use email, like a lot of old people do, uh, Show at gmail.com and tell us at what point in your life you realized you're a nerd. We hope to hear you, and we'll talk at you pretty soon. Later. Thanks, everybody. Captain Will, signing out. Peace. Our music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0, creativecommons.org, slash licenses, slash buy, slash 3.0.